So today we're going to be talking about Lincoln. Who was Abraham Lincoln? You know his head on the penny. You've seen pictures of the Abraham, the Lincoln Memorial, looming up over D.C. like, like a god. Zeus, Jupiter, right? And of course we all think of Abraham Lincoln in our own minds, like almost like a mythical person, a hero, a superhero, really. But of course, he was a human like all the rest of us. And, um, and it's important to ask the question, who was he really? What were his motivations? And were they biblical? Right? We studied Rousseau. We studied Franklin. We're going to be studying Finney. We studied um, quite a few characters in history. And today we're going to be studying... Um, continuing to study Abraham Lincoln. Of course, you're going to be reading his speeches for the next few weeks, so we'll really be doing a deep dive on Abraham Lincoln. But the first thing you need to understand about Abraham Lincoln that I think is most important for us as Christians is that he wasn't a Christian. That is my estimation of things. And I don't believe a case can be made to say that he is a Christian, at least not a biblical Christian. I'm not even sure you would say he is what we think of as religious. There's even rumors that he had seances in the White House. Probably not the last time. So let's think about this. Early in his political career, he got into trouble on this. People uh, accused him of being an atheist and scoffing at Christianity. And he said that he, he did not think ill of Christians at all. He didn't think poorly of them. He didn't scoff at them. Of course, what's he not saying there? He's not saying that he is a Christian. He's not bowing the knee to the laws of King Jesus. But he's simply saying, you know, I don't hate Christians. I don't have a problem against religious people. Does that sound familiar to anyone? Uh, Sounds like Benjamin Franklin a little bit, right? And remember, Rousseau was okay with religion as long as religion taught man to obey the state. You'll remember that. I'm, uh, I'm becoming a tad bit suspicious here, but I don't want to color your, your, imp- your impression of Lincoln too much by my own personal takes. I want us to read the, the speeches and the writings, and I want you to be able to come to your own conclusions at least, right? Um, but we also do know that he mentioned God occasionally, not often, but occasionally. In his, one of his most famous speeches... The, um, he's, he coined the phrase, one nation under God. But we've seen things like this before, haven't we? What might you, as a biblical Christian, be a little suspicious of here? One nation under God. Well, okay, but, Jude? He's sort of just being like political. It could just be a political statement. Any other concerns? Lucas? It's a little abstract. It's a little ambiguous. Which God are we referring to here? Mother Nature? The all-seeing eye? The deistic watchmaker God? The force? What sort of a worldview does he have? Is he referring to the Trinitarian God? He certainly doesn't use the title Jesus or Christ ever, I don't think. Right? He mentions providence vaguely. You remember people that did that before. Benjamin Franklin, he, uh, he seems to me closer to what we would think of as a Unitarian, you know, 
but I'm not, I'm not certain yet. We're going to read the speeches and try to come to a conclusion on that. But why do you think perhaps he needed to sound somewhat religious, even though he wasn't a Christian? Well, because he's a politician, just like politicians today. They claim to be Christians, or they claim to be religious, or they use phrases like God or providence. And he was a politician then, and most Americans were Christians back in that day. And so, you know, he played by the rules, at least in my opinion. But another way we can ask this question is, in a crisis, does he turn to the Bible? When we read his speeches... Is he quoting Bible verses? Is he appealing to the Bible to to make a case for what is right and wrong? Even in the issue of slavery, does he say, well, the Bible says this, the Bible says that? Is he a man of principle, a man of the Bible, or is he um, a politician, knows how to to ride the fence? We're going to find out for sure. But one thing we know, and I'll tell you at this point, is even in the midst of the Civil War, he doesn't so much turn to the Bible. He doesn't really mention the Bible. He turns instead to the Constitution to justify his, um, his advances on the southern states that seceded. He said they didn't have a right to secede, that the Constitutional, as a covenant, um, had to be mutually succession. Like It was almost like if a divorce, he said... If a, a wife can't just leave, the husband would have to agree. Our husband can't just leave and divorce. The other one has to agree. And the South are saying no. Um, you know, when we entered into this covenant, it was under the pretense that if we needed to in the future, we could succeed. So, hmm, I don't know who's right on that particular point, um, at least not yet. <clears throat> but um, he appeals to the Constitution, not the Bible. But he's called the great emancipator. Sounds like a Christian term, doesn't it? I mean, really, Jesus is the great emancipator. What does it mean to emancipate? Free slaves. That's right, to free the slaves. That sounds Christian. Sounds like something Christians should do, right? I mean, the gospel is about freeing slaves. That's what the word redemption means. Jesus pays our ransom to free us as slaves and to bring us into his service. The exodus, what is it about? Israel being free to slaves, right? I mean, Christian, Christians know a thing or two about liberation. So we should be emancipators. And he's the great emancipator. But does he, does he deserve that title? Hmm, right? And is he the great emancipator because he holds to biblical principles or because perhaps he holds to humanistic principles? Could you make a case in humanism to free slaves? What would it be? Uh, we're all humans, so we all deserve freedom. Yeah. There you go. Now, what would the biblical case for freeing, freeing men be? We're all made in the image of God. We're created in the image of God. Yes, yes. There you go. That's good. And, and, and this is a Christian school, and we're, we're Christians here, and so we're not... We're, we're analyzing him according to the Bible, according to Christianity in particular. So... Is he truly the great emancipator? You know, does he deserve that title? Did he do it for biblical reasons? Right? I have a few facts here, and you can uh, think through them, and you tell me what you think. Right? He did discuss sending the, the slaves back to Africa. Right? Hmm. I've read some reports that um, they uh, were going to create an, a region of South America 
I think it was called Lincolnian or Lincolnia. Huh? Liberia. Well, no, no, not Liberia, but Liberia is is um, another place. And they were going to send many of the slaves there. Now, why, based on our studies so far, would they entertain the notion of sending all of the slaves off somewhere? Raise your hand if you think you can remember why that. Why would they entertain something like that? Nick? Because none of the slaves were educated, so it would have, like, crashed the society. They were uneducated, but more than uneducated, they had different cultures, right? A lot of people hated them, right? Um, suspicious of them. I mean, if, you're, if you are born and raised a slave, and you're kept uneducated, and you're not taught the morals of God, and you're not given Sunday school and a Christian education, what sort of a person are you going to be? Criminal. You're going to be a petty criminal. You're not going to be a great person. And that was objectively true of many of the slaves. But was it their fault that they were raised as slaves? Well, no, it was the fault of their masters for keeping them ignorant of Christ and ignorant of the gospel and ignorant of truth. Of course, um, the Holy Spirit broke through in many of this, and many, many slaves did become Christians by God's grace. But um, the nation faced a, a huge, um, you know, just question, like, if we free all of the slaves immediately, what's going to happen to society? Are they all going to starve in the streets? You know, imagine a factory. Imagine a factory where that, that employs an entire city. The whole city works at the factory. Something like the Amazon Distribution Center over in Karen Crow. Like, imagine half of Karen Crow works there. And they close up shop in one day. I mean, what's going to happen to Karen Crow? Right? It's a tough spot. It's a tough spot. So what do you do? Was, was Lincoln for freeing the slaves automatically? No, he wasn't. He was, though, I think, he was for freeing the slaves eventually. He wanted there to be a way to eventually free them. And he made arguments that um, it was for the best to eventually free them. It was for the best of them and for the best of the nation. But he also made arguments to perhaps ship them off to to another place. All right. Does this stuff sound biblical, though? Like, what do we think? What are we to think biblically? I don't, we, need to, we need to think about this. Um, the other option that was discussed and was believed by many people in those days called abolitionists was that they should be immediately given their freedom and given their constitutional and biblical rights because they were indeed created in the image of God. Was Chamberlain an abolitionist? From um, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> now, Lincoln said he was not for that, though. He said he was not for them to be immediately freed and given their biblical and constitutional rights. Although he did, in other speeches that you're going to read, believe that the Constitution applied to them because he did believe they were humans. So it's, ah, how do we, how do we make sense of Lincoln? What's he up to? This is what he said. He said this, quote, My own feelings will not admit this. That is, giving them total freedom, giving them their biblical and constitutional rights immediately. He says, My own feelings will not admit this. We cannot make them equals. Hmm. He said, The black man is not my equal in many respects. All right. 
He said, in fact, that they were not perhaps equal to him and to white people in morals or in intellect. You know what that means? It means at least he believed possibly that they weren't equal in their mental capabilities or in their moral capabilities, that they were um, maybe, you know, less evolved. Does this sound familiar to anyone? Does this concept sound familiar to anyone? Yeah, what, could you give a name for it? Darwinism, yeah, sure. Now, I'm not saying that he was a Darwinist. I mean, a true Darwinist, and many Darwinists in those days did not believe that blacks were humans at all. They believed them to be a less evolved subhuman species. Of course, which is absolutely and utterly false and proven by science. Um, the, the only real difference is the amount of melanin in the shape of your hair follicle and a few facial features. Not much more difference than that. <laughs> but he did, he did condemn, Lincoln condemned people who said that blacks weren't humans, right? Um, he believed the Declaration of Independence did apply to them. He said slavery as an institution needs to be restrained. But he didn't say it needs to be abolished immediately, not until later. And he believed it should be incrementally or eventually abolished. <clears throat> Even during the Civil War, he says this, I have no intention of meddling or changing slavery. Now, of course, he said that when the South was trying to succeed and he was trying to preserve the Union. Now, if you want my take on all of this, what I think Lincoln really is at the end of the day is a politician up to something. That's what I believe. I do believe he was, a, he was better than many when it comes to um, the slavery question. You know, what's better? Keep the slaves perpetually enslaved because they are subhuman or free them eventually because they are human and the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution applies to them. That second one's better, right? I mean, Lincoln was better on this question than many people in his day. Um, but it was not for biblical principles. It really was, I do believe, for humanistic principles. But hey, you know, you, know, you, you take it where you can get it, right? But, um, but listen to this. Listen to this quote. It's from his responses on why he signed the Emancipation Proclamation. Right? That's when he, quote, freed the slaves. He said this. He says, my paramount object in this struggle is to save the union. What is a paramount object? His final goal. His ultimate goal. And is not either to save or to destroy slavery. His primary goal was not to save slavery or end slavery. His primary objective was to save the union. If I could save the union, y'all don't have to write this entire thing, but get the concept. Listen, he says, if I could save the union without freeing any slaves, I would do it. And if I could save it by freeing all the slaves, all the slaves, I would do it. And if I could save it by freeing some and leaving others alone, I would also do that. What I do about slavery and the colored race, I do because it helps to save the union. And what I forbear, I forbear because I do not believe it would help to save the union. Interesting. Now, in my opinion, and really I do believe in the opinion of God, is that that is not a principled stand. That is what we call pragmatism. 
if someone is created in the image of God, they should be given their biblical and their constitutional rights immediately. Now, the difficulties that that might face for a nation, well, that needs to be discussed, right? Um, but, but when you grab a wolf by the ears and you let it go, you're going to get bit. But you've got to let it go. <laughs> so anyway, it's, it's a difficult subject. But one thing I want you to see really is that Lincoln was for the union. Now, what does that mean? To keep the nation together? To keep it together. To, I, I think in the opinion of some would be to force it to stay together. Now, what forces were at work in Western Europe at this particular time that may have had an influence on Lincoln's worldview? Nationalism. Nationalism that's right. This is a very important thing, I think, to understand if you're going to understand Lincoln. He was a nationalist. Now, a nationalist today doesn't exactly mean the same thing as a nationalist then. So defining terms is helpful. But if I, if I said um, Napoleon, I think you would understand what a nationalist is. His desire was to unite the French peoples. You're going to read about another nationalist later this year whose desire was to unite the Germanic peoples. Guess what his name is? Old Adolf. Yes. And you're going to read about nationalists like Franklin Roosevelt. That's right. You're going to read about nationalism. And nationalism is, the, is really what I would call the humanistic counterpart to old Christendom. You see, before Germany and France and England and Spain, before the revolutions, before the post-Enlightenment secular revolutions, these were comprised of various kingdoms, the kingdoms of Christendom, right? Like when Christopher Columbus sailed, he did not sail for Spain. There was no such thing as a Spain, okay? He sailed for a particular king and queen of a particular kingdom, and the same was somewhat true in the colonies. Each of the states were autonomous. Those states came together, you know, having already existed for quite some time, they came together to covenant in the Constitution. But they had existed before that. You see? What Lincoln believes is that these states should be kept in the Union, in his, in his way of saying it, but what they believe is that they themselves have more autonomy than the federal government. <clears throat> Which is why when you read in the Killer Angels, you read, I got my rights, right? States' rights. See, a lot of the Southerners didn't want the Northerners down here. Why are you fighting us? Because you're in my town. States' rights. Of course, many were fighting to preserve slavery. Many were evil. Some were righteous. We talked about some of the complications there. But why does Lincoln do what he do, does? I think as you read these speeches, you've got to keep an eye out for this. It's because at the end of the day, he wants empire. He wants the nation to be held together. He doesn't want decentralization. He wants centralization. He is one of the earlier forms of the central planners. Big government 
people that we have today, really. And so, if what I'm saying is true, and we'll find out for sure as we read his speeches, does it sound like a Christian or a biblical thing to do to use the issue of slavery for your ultimate political agendas? I don't think so. And that's why I don't think he should be called the great emancipator. He, of course, did some good things. But motives are important. Intentions are important. So why, though, okay, if his desire is to, think about this, if his desire is to preserve the Union, he's in the middle of the Civil War, he's trying to make them come back into the Union. He's trying to make them submit. Why would he go and free the slaves? To punish them? It must, it must have given him some advantage in the war. And that's exactly what it did. In fact, when you read the Emancipation Proclamation, you're going to see that, that only the slaves in the South were freed. Slavery continued in Maryland and in other places in the North. Isn't that interesting? If he is a man of principle, the great liberator, oh, but then why not free all the slaves? Oh, no, just in the South. Because it had practical purposes. In fact, and this is insane. Are y'all listening? In the South, there were certain regions that had been captured by the North. Okay? The North had come down to the South and captured certain regions. In those regions where the North had dominion in the South, the slaves weren't freed there. So he emancipated all the slaves in the South except where the Union Army was winning. It's crazy, right? It's because he had a purpose for it. And his purpose was, I think, a very shrewd, Machiavellian. It was very political. And that's and it had everything to do with Britain and France. That's right. Britain and France had already outlawed slavery. Do you remember the name of the Christian that worked very hard to stop the, the slave trade in England? He's a hero to me and to many of us. William Bradford. Wilberforce. No, William Bradford was the governor of the Pilgrims. <laughs> William Shakespeare. No, a different guy. Different guy. No, William Wilberforce. He, he pulled off some shrewd political maneuvers and ended the slave trade in England. It's a wonderful story. Maybe we'll watch the movie sometime. But um, in France and in Britain, they'd already stopped the slave trade. <clears throat> and, uh, and, they, and they really had, they really, they really had a, um, you know, uh, the public opinion was against slavery at that time in England and in France, largely for uh, some Christian and some humanistic reasons. And so if you want to get Britain and France on your side, you would want to show Britain and France just how naughty and how slave-holding um, the South is. And that's what Lincoln did. He pointed out that they were violators of human rights. They owned slaves. And in this way, Britain and France never recognized them as a nation and did not trade with them, but instead declared war on them. He got the help of the British Navy through the Emancipation Proclamation. Pretty shrewd tactic, right? He was a very good politician. But it also freed all the slaves in the South so that if those slaves ran out of their state and ran into another state, they were free. That disrupted the South, obviously. And it also in, in, uh, increased the number of soldiers in the North. So the North began to have um, you know, units of black soldiers. And uh, we, maybe we'll, there's a great movie called Glory about one of those platoons of uh, black soldiers in the north. Of course, they didn't let them so much intermingle with their troops because slavery, I mean, not slavery, but racism was still an issue all over the country. 
racism, Darwinism, etc. So let's uh, round out our talk by asking specifically, what does the Bible say about race and slavery? All right, and this is the primary thing I want you to know since I'm a Bible teacher mostly. Number one, very clearly, kidnapping people uh, receives the death penalty in the Bible. Where do the slaves come from? Africans in West Africa kidnapped other Africans in West Africa, their, their rivals, their tribal enemies, and sold them uh, very often to Muslims and to, to other pirates and other hooligans that then shipped them around the world, especially to the West Indies, the Bahamas, Cuba, South America, and North America. The entire um, slave economy was initiated and was on the foundation of man kidnapping. So you say, ah, but we need this for our economy. You know, we need this for our culture to be advanced, for our health. Yeah. If you're going to exercise dominion in the name of Jesus Christ, if you're going to, to spread the gospel and see the curse be re- removed on this earth, be salt and light in this world, you have to play by the book. You don't get to um, create vaccines with baby parts and you don't get to create cotton with slaves. Make sense? Kidnapping receives the death penalty in the Mosaic administration of the covenant. And that pretty much eradicates 90% of all the slavery that is in the world over the last few hundred years. Okay? But there is slaves in the Bible. And the word slavery is all over the Bible, right? Um, did Pharaoh lawfully and justly keep the, the, the Israelites in slavery? No, he oppressed them. He was a tyrant, okay? He kidnapped them, so to speak. But in the book of Philemon, um, Onesimus is a slave owned by Philemon. And Paul writes this whole letter to him, and it's not explicitly stated that there's a problem there at all. It's interesting. What was, uh, what was Jacob to Laban? He was a slave. But why was he working for Laban? Because he needed to acquire a dowry to be able to get married to Laban's daughter. The tyranny and the oppression comes when after he works his seven years under his covenant as a slave... He doesn't get the daughter and he gets tricked and gets the cross-eyed daughter, right? <laughs> yeah, I know, it's kind of a sad story, but it's kind of a gospel story too, but you'll have to come on Wednesday nights to learn more about that. So there's good slavery in the Bible and bad slavery in the Bible. And if it involves kidnapping, lying, cheating, and stealing, it's evil, okay? But let's just say someone committed a crime, Okay? They, um, maybe it was just a crime of negligence and they let their, their fence uh, fall to pieces and their oxen got out of the fence and killed somebody else's oxen, killed three of them, gored them to death. Well, the Bible has uh, laws about how that is to be, how restitution is to be made on that. But what if he can't make any restitution? What if he can't pay? Well, that's where slavery comes in in the Bible. That's why often when I'm preaching about it, I call it bond slavery. Because you're, you're working for someone because you're paying off a debt. 
Our debt slavery is another way of, of putting it. All right. When someone um, commits a crime in our own country, they oftentimes say they, have, they owe a debt to society. Have you ever heard that phrase? I hate that phrase. They actually owe a debt to the person they sinned against. They don't owe a debt to, quote, society, which is just a shorthand way of saying owing a debt to the government. No, they owe a debt to the person they stole from. So what do we do when someone steals something? We send them to prison, don't we? And what do they do in prison? Become pro-stealers. Well, sure. They get to hang out with other thieves and learn how to uh, um, better um, hone their craft. But what do they do all day in, in prison? Does anyone know? Adeline. Yes, but what they are slaves to the government. But what do they do? They work. they work. Exactly. They commit a crime. They go to prison and they work all day. They work and they don't get paychecks. <clears throat> and they are slaves to the government. That's essentially what slavery is. Now, the question is whether or not they are paying off a debt that they couldn't pay otherwise or if they're being enslaved. And I think in, in many cases they're actually being enslaved and not being allowed to pay off the debt that they actually owe. So anyway, this isn't a class on bond slavery or debt slavery. But the gospel is very simple, that we owe a debt because of sin, and we are in slavery to sin and Satan and death, right? What does Jesus do? He pays our debt, debt so that now, that's the ransom, so that now we are no longer slaves. We are free. But when you pay a slave's debt, you are purchasing him, and now he becomes your, your slave. That's right. So slavery, in that sense, is not evil. And, and many godly Christians practiced that in the past. In the book of Ephesians even says, slaves, obey your masters. You're paying off a debt, perhaps because you committed a crime or because you had a debt, right? Be a good slave. Be a good, what we would think of maybe as an employee, right? All right. Another thing that the Bible teaches that's very relevant to this, and you need to write this down, number three, there's no such thing as race in the Bible, the word race, the idea of race and races is a Darwinian concept. He wrote the book. Does anyone remember the name of it? The Origin of Species. Origin of Species. Does anyone remember the subtitle? I can't remember it precisely, but it's um, on the origin of the various races, something like that. It's a book. It's a racist book. It's only a racist book. But in the Bible, there's no such thing as race. What do I mean by that? Benjamin. There's no separation between humans. That's there's right. No, there's no two genus of humans besides genera. That's right. We're all from Adam. We're all from Adam. Adam and Eve. Now, there is a separation of humanity into two groups. Those who are in Adam and those who are in... No. Those who are in Adam are in the devil because Adam and the devil covenanted together in the garden. But those who are in Adam and those who are in Jesus. Christ, the second Adam. That's right. That's the division, Christian and non-Christian. There is no racial, actual racial division. There's also, there are divisions of uh, gender as well, right? It's essential to our humanity from Genesis chapter 1. So we can say as Christians that we have more in common with a Christian Anglican Nigerian grandma who lives on the other side of the world than we do with the non-Christian Scotch-Irish redneck who lives right next to me. You understand? Mm -hmm. 
Does that make sense? I have more in common with a Vietnamese Christian grandma than I do with a bald, tall, redneck, not a Christian, who lives in the same town as me. So as a Christian, where do my loyalties lie? Well, to be honest with you, my loyalties lie with the church, with the saints, with Christians. And I think that is the most biblical approach. Do I like white stuff? Sure, I like country music, I like Merle Haggard, right? I like, I like hunting and fishing and, I don't know, what else? Rock and roll. Yeah, I like rock and roll, you know, I like white stuff, that's fine. But when push comes to shove, I stand with Christians, Right. I stand with those who are in Christ. That's the ultimate division, and that should be our ultimate identity. That's our ultimate covenant, which would be a more accurate way to say that. So if someone is in covenant with me in the church, then that's that. That's who I live for. That's who I die for, regardless of the amount of melanin that they have in their skin. You know, we both have melanin. It's just a different amount. Okay. So that's a very important thing to understand and to say. All right? All peoples that are in Christ are united in Christ. And um, obviously, I I think um, if you were a slave owner and you were a Christian and they were Christians and they had been kidnapped or their (coughs) great-grandparents had been kidnapped... In my opinion, you would do everything you could to give them their biblical and constitutional rights as soon as you possibly could. <clears throat> but I have to admit, it, it was not exactly that simple. To free a slave was illegal. Really? Yeah. If you were to free a slave and they were off your property, they could be murdered. You could be sent to prison. And where would they work? Where would they eat? What would they do? It was not easy. The institution of slavery was like having a wolf by the ears. It, it's not unlike the institution of abo- abortion in that it touches every area of life. Like, who isn't guilty of abortion? You think it's just the people that don't have abortions? Well, who do you think built the abortion clinic? Construction workers, bricklayers, roofers, electric, electricians. Who rents the building? Who sold the building? Who were the lawyers involved? Who were the real estate agents involved? Who mans the roads where the facilities drive down the roads to the abortion clinic? You know, who takes out the trash, the little baby parts? I mean, it's, it's impossible. We're all one or two steps away from a baby murder. That's why, you know, reformed people believe not only in individual guilt, but in corporate guilt. And, and slavery was like that. It was a corporate guilt. And, uh, and it was something that touched all of life. And the North were, were just as guilty. Where do you think the ships were made that transported the slaves? On the plantation, on the cotton farm? No. They were made in the industrial North. They, everyone was complicit. Everyone was complicit. And uh, it was a very complicated thing. And, to, and back then, to be a real <laughs> faithful Christian was dangerous and difficult, just like it is today in dealing with corporate guilt and institutional evils. So um, so anyway, we as Christians, just to summarize this, we should be working to eradicate all forms of slavery. 
That's why I'm against the prison systems. It's a form of slavery, an evil form of slavery, not a bond slavery, not a debt slavery, not a faithful um, way of helping people to pay restitution and return to society, um, but a form of state-sponsored slavery. Totally against that. Christians should be against slavery because we have been freed and redeemed by Christ, right? We are the emancipators, and Christ is the great emancipator. And, and unfortunately, Lincoln did not bow his knee to Christ. And so we can, we can be thankful for the ways that God used him, but we don't worship him. Make sense? All right, that's it for today.